Hi, and welcome back to The Naked Pravda, which is his only English-language podcast. I'm Sam Brazil, the senior news editor for Medusa in English, and this week I have an episode about the state of transgender rights in Russia. Howdy, folks. Your regular host here, Kevin Rothrock. I'm missing an action this week, but before I give the show back to Sam, I wanted to pop in and share some news here at Medusa. Thanks to a new partnership with Mother Jones, it's now possible to make tax-deductible donations to Medusa in the United States. You can contribute by credit card, check, bank transfer, wire transfer, gifts of stock, and probably a lot more. We don't accept firstborn children, but if you have any other questions about the process and how Mother Jones is serving as a fiscal sponsor for Medusa's journalism, please visit our website or contact us at support at medusa.io. As always, you can still donate to Medusa directly, and it's those recurring pledges that help sustain our work the most. If you can't contribute today, please consider sharing our journalism and our crowdfunding campaign with friends and colleagues. And thanks for listening to The Naked Pravda, of course. Now back to Sam. On June 14th, the lower house of Russia's parliament, the State Duma, passed the first reading of a new bill that would essentially ban every aspect of gender transitions, from changing your gender marker in official documents to healthcare like hormone replacement therapy and gender-affirming surgeries. The only exceptions would be for people with, quote, congenital physiological anomalies, meaning intersex people, and even then, it would only be possible in state hospitals after review by a medical panel. Russia has never been an especially safe or comfortable place for trans people. But until now, it's at least been possible for them to legally transition, meaning to change the documents, and legal for them to medically transition. Since the start of the full-scale war, though, Russia's leaders have really actively begun demonizing LGBTQ people, painting them as an existential threat to the country being exported by the West. In October, for example, one lawmaker said Russian troops in Ukraine are fighting for, quote, families to consist of a mom, a dad, and children, not some guy, some other guy, and some other who knows what. But trans and gender non-conforming people have, of course, always been in Russia. I asked Nefsilarius, a program coordinator for the Russian LGBTQ rights group coming out, what life for trans people has been like for the last few years, to try to get an idea of the status quo before the new laws come into effect. You know, the main problem before the invasion was joblessness among trans people in Russia and violation of labor rights because of the huge level of transphobia in the Russian society. In 2021, only 20% of trans people had a salary higher than a 500 US dollars per month. And the average pay per month was about $300. For comparison, he told me, average income for cisgender Russians was closer to $1,000 per month, so more than three times higher. Many trans people were involved in the sex work, and in 2021, 37% of trans people didn't have a permanent job. And in 2022, this indicator increased, and now it's about 50%. So what about the situation with gender-affirming healthcare in Russia right now, before the upcoming legislation? How easy is it for most trans people in Russia to get the care they need, to get hormones, surgery, all those things? At first, we should know that in Russian 
medicine, trans status, it's uh, a disease. And there are recommendations how to treat this disease and treatment should be aimed at reducing symptoms of gender dysphoria. And the funny thing about this law, the government tried to ban a treatment. And that's why the Ministry of Health already gave bad feedback for this law, but they are in the minority <laughs> right now. Will there be any option for people to change their documents under the new legislation? I predict increasing the number of suicides among trans people. It's the most visible effect. Now, by mm, different estimates, we have a 12 or 20% of suicides among trans people. And this is a huge statistic. And about 40% note they ever had suicide thoughts. It's literally half of trans people. And the other conclusion will be a rising of illegal medical services. And this is a very bad thing. That's mm, not about the doctors broke the law to help people. No, it's about money at first. And I think these medical services, they will be very bad quality and they will be pretty dangerous for trans people. And in addition to being a lot more dangerous, Neff said these black market services are also likely to be a lot more expensive. And we know in 2022, about 50% of trans people, they didn't have a permanent job. Will there be any option for people to change their documents under the new legislation? No, the draft banned all the processes. Now, without this law, we have a very good system for trans people. We have two separate, two different processes. It's changing documents and medical transition. You can change your documents, but it's not necessary to change body with changing documents. And you also can change your body, but leave your document like this. And this is a very good story because there are a few percentage of the transition when people changing their mind. They can at first change their documents, think about it, try to socialize in other gender, and then they can go back. It's a very, very good system, and it's a good system for non-binary persons like me. Yeah, <laughs> there is no need to change your body, but to change your name or surname or something. And now it's all possible, and it's all legal, and the law will ban all of this. I asked Neff why he thinks the Russian government is pursuing this legislation specifically right now. Maybe it sounds strange, but at first it's the war. Putin cannot give his electorate something good on the ground, uh, and he should uh, imagine something <laughs> about the fighting, fighting against NATO ideology, you see. And I think it's the main reason. Before 2022, trans people really they were invisible since um, 1989 in USSR and then in Russia. It was legal to, to make a transition to change your gender marker in your ID 
and there was no such problem. And now, ah, it's all the NATO ideology. Well, first of all, I don't like comparing things to Russia because everything, almost most countries are great compared to Russia. That's Anna-Marie Tesfaya, one of the co-founders of Queer Svit, a nonprofit that helps LGBTQ people and people of color affected by the war in Ukraine and affected by political repression in former Soviet countries. First, I asked them about whether many trans people were trying to leave Russia before last year's invasion and the rise in anti-trans rhetoric that accompanied it. In general, most trans people were thinking about escaping. It's a very marginalized group, which is very underprivileged, especially if we're talking about trans women. And of course, they're the ones that feel the slightest change in the society, I think, first. So they knew that things are not going to the right direction. And you could see it by the hate, by the news even towards trans people. So of course, a lot of them want to escape. But also because they are marginalized, a lot of them don't know how to because they don't have a legal job and especially trans women again, because for trans men, it's a little bit easier to, you know, to blend in. And I even know some of my friends who are trans women and they, you know, graduated from universities and stuff and they still at some point of their life or still they do sex work because they, they can't afford to not be protected by money, if that makes sense. Because you can't just, when you're transitioning or when you just start taking hormones and stuff, you can't just go from ward by bus at 10 in the evening. Anna Maria said it's tough to estimate how many trans people left Russia after the start of the full-scale war because there are no reliable statistics. Of course, there were a lot of trans people who were terrified and they wanted help. And they came to us and to a lot of other organizations because they didn't know what to do. Again, especially trans people who have the M gender marker in their passports. If they would have been mobilized, they would probably not even get to the, I don't know, the front or the army place. Because people are very aggressive and this is really scary. What's the main kind of challenge that trans people face? In Europe, for example, when they leave Russia and, you know, they're no longer citizens of the country that they're in, is the main challenge finding ways to get gender-affirming healthcare? I think there are lots of different challenges. I just don't want to generalize everything because, of course, other challenges that are there is always uh, human trafficking and sex trafficking. These are the things that we worry a lot about and try to talk a lot about because this is quite a big threat. Well, safety in general, because usually you get into refugee camps and not a lot of countries have specific refugee camps for trans people. It's just not safe for trans people to be in refugee camps. Uh, there are a lot of challenges, but of course, having gender affirming therapy and just healthcare in general is also very important. Maybe you've heard that in the Netherlands, a trans woman committed suicide. She was a refugee from Russia. She couldn't find or receive any hormone therapy. I don't remember for how long. I think it was about a year. And she had such such an intense depression because of gender dysphoria that she killed herself. And I didn't know her personally, but I knew people who knew. And, well, 
this is really, I don't even know what to say, not even frustrating or upsetting. It's just disappointing, I would say, because I think it's essential. And because of bureaucracy, she just didn't get the help that she needed. So, Bain is pretty... It's pretty nice with hormone therapy and with, you know, Spain is one of the so-called good countries for trans people to go. Argentina as well. It's actually very trans-friendly and queer-friendly in general. But these two countries, they have a concern that you're not provided. Well, in Spain, you can be provided, but it's really hard and very limited. In Argentina, you're not provided at all with housing or any subsidies from the government. So it really depends on the case and on the documents you have with you. There are a lot of things. So I would say that it's, it's better to actually go to an organization like ours, for example, or any other organization that helps with the relocation. Come up with the case, explain the case, and then we'll try to figure out where it's better to go. So, yeah. There are also, of course, trans Russians who don't want to leave. Ajona, a trans woman in her early 20s living in St. Petersburg, told me she's chosen to stay in Russia because it's home. I'm using a pseudonym for Alona to protect her safety. It's unjust, it's unfair what in my country, in my hometown, deputies have abroad houses, their kids studies in European universities, and I just hopefully no, I have own plans. I don't been abroad never. I know it hard to be refugee. It tries, and it's not just I am flying to freedom. It's another troubles to face. Like Neff, Ariana told me that trans people used to be essentially invisible in Russia. On one hand, that's not ideal because it's easy for people to discriminate or act violently towards people they don't understand. But on the other hand, it was definitely preferable to the new reality in which trans people are being very publicly scapegoated by the authorities. Trans uh, community existed in gray zone. We've been invisible. When we've been invisible and uh, deputies don't watch us, we change documents and just live our lives. It's not safety too, but it's more safety than now. Adorna told me she believes the only real export from the West isn't any kind of gender ideology or social contagion, but the actual anti-trans legislation that the Russian authorities are pushing. As part of our new credentialing body for teachers, we will promote positive education about the nuclear family, the roles of mothers and fathers, and celebrating rather than erasing the things that make men and women different and unique. I will ask Congress to pass a bill establishing that the only genders recognized by the United States government are male and female, and they are assigned at birth. The bill will also make clear that Title IX prohibits men from participating in women's sports, and we will protect the rights of parents from being forced to allow their minor child to assume a gender which is new and an identity without the parent's consent. The identity will not be new and it will not be without parental consent. No serious country should be telling its children that they were born with the wrong gender, a concept that was never heard of 
In all of human history, nobody's ever heard of this, what's happening today. It's so funny it to just copy-paste an American conservative politician and we don't any base on Bible, Quran. Russia is not a very religious country at all. We have more obvious things like astrology and tarot cards, not in God's. Thanks for tuning in, folks. This has been The Naked Pravda, a podcast from Medusa in English. Remember that undesirable status back in Russia means our entire news outlet now relies on readers and listeners around the world to support our work. Please visit our website for information about how to become a contributor with one-time or recurring pledges. Thanks again. Until next week.